Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to the Healthy Gut Podcast with Rebecca Coombs, the place where you can learn how to achieve a happy, healthy gut. Here's what's coming up on today's show. Welcome to episode 94 of the Healthy Gut Podcast. And today I'm joined by Dr. Michael Ruscio. We're here to talk all about his new Elemental Heal formula, which is supporting people wanting to do the Elemental Diet. Now, if you would like to get the transcription from today's episode, make sure you are a member of the Healthy Gut Podcast. Simply sign up for free at thehealthygut.com forward slash podcast. And I recorded the video as well as the audio for today's episode. So if you would like to watch Michael and I have this conversation, simply head to the Healthy Gut YouTube channel. Just search for the Healthy Gut when you head to YouTube and you will see episode 94 in my podcast's playlist. So without further ado, here is Dr. Michael Ruscio and I talking all about the Elemental Diet and his Elemental Heal formula. Welcome back to the Healthy Gut Podcast, and I'm joined by Dr. Michael Ruscio, who has come on the Healthy Gut Podcast a couple of times now, and it's wonderful to have you back today, Michael, to talk all about your new formula, Elemental Heal. So thanks so much for coming on the show. It's always great to be here. Thanks for having me back. Let's talk about what it is, because for a long time, if any SIBO patients wanted to do an elemental formula, they were pretty limited and some of them weren't very nice tasting. (laughs) So what prompted you to go off and create your own formula? Great question. I was at the SIBO symposium uh, on a panel and I believe this was in 2000, maybe 18. Some of the, the years now kind of blur together. So I may have the year slightly off, but I was making all these comments about elemental diets how I had been using them, what the research has found. And to my surprise, the, the panelists on either side of me who are brilliant clinicians and researchers seem to be hearing this for the first time. And it made me realize that the elemental diets were, were not maybe as explored and as utilized clinically as they could be and perhaps should be. Part of that, as you mentioned, is the older generation of formulas were so unsavory as to make it a no-go for the majority of people. They, they were just terribly uh, formulated. Um, but there were other versions that I had been experimenting with and we had kind of been playing with um, fully elemental versus semi-elemental. And it turns out that the research shows about equivalency for those in terms of impact. Um, 
So we had really been kind of testing some of these hypotheses, using them in various applications, not just two to three weeks completely, but in, in this hybrid or kind of half and half food and, and elemental as uh, it's described in some of the research literature. Um, and it really got me to see that this is, this is a, a therapeutic that can be quite helpful but unfortunately, unfortunately, it's kind of ensconced in all this stereotype of being prescription only or tasting very bad or having to be used in a two to three week exclusive application. And when you get rid of those misnomers, you open up wonderful avenues of therapy for people. And, and that was kind of the impetus of our, uh, I guess, more relaxed utilization recommendations and some of the new formulas that we've been releasing. I did the elemental diet uh, myself as that uh, therapeutic uh, approach, so liquid only, and I did a 14-day program of it. Uh, if anybody wants to watch my experience with it, you can <laughs> see it on my YouTube channel. I share warts and all. Uh, and I've got to tell you, I wished that your formula was out when I did it, just for the simple fact I could have had two flavors. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would go a long way. Just to change that taste up and not taste exactly the same thing every single day. Um, so let's touch on why somebody with SIBO might consider doing an elemental diet, either partial or full. Sure. Great question. And I would say it's not limited to just those with SIBO. This can definitely be helpful for patients who think they have SIBO, but have never had a lab test positive and they more so have the symptoms of IBS. Uh, for those with inflammatory bowel disease, this is the area clearly that there has been the most research published with inflammatory bowel disease. Um, and even one study in rheumatoid arthritis finding that elemental dieting was as effective as corticosteroid drug therapy. So there's certainly many applications for which a elemental diet can work beyond SIBO. Um, but why someone may want to do this, uh, let's say someone is very sensitive and they've tried probiotics and they've been reactive to probiotics. There's, there's some nuance, as we've discussed in the past, about the categories of probiotics, and that can actually help one circumvent their reactions because they may be able to identify a certain type is what they react to. But let's say that they've had reactions to probiotics, so they're tenuous about probiotics. Perhaps they've also had reactions to antimicrobials or they, they are uncomfortable with antimicrobial therapy or antibiotic therapy. Uh, then another way of getting around this would be elemental dieting. Also, if someone's very food reactive, then uh, you know, the, the diet can become progressively restrictive to where someone is eating only a very few foods. And this is another way in which the elemental diet can be helpful in so far as it reduces the, the presentation of antigens or inflammatory food particles to the gut. It starves bacteria and I also think fungal overgrowths, but the nutrition is actually pre-digested. And so if you're someone who's not absorbing well, and now you use an elemental formula, you may actually feel better energy. And this is what some people will, will remark ironically when they're doing fully or partial elemental dieting they check in and say, I have better energy for my workouts than I've had in months or years. And that might because of, uh, be because of the better absorption. A question I get asked a lot by my um, coaching clients, and, and I work with people that are not the simple cases, but more complex, and quite often they fall into that category of people who are reacting to a lot of foods. They're down to like five to 10 foods. 
they've been there for a long time and even those foods are problematic for them. And when we discuss the option of partial or full elemental diet, one of their concerns is, oh, it's man-made. I I react to everything. So I think I'm going to react to this. What do you see clinically with your patients around that reactivity? Yeah, I mean, almost any therapy does have a risk of causing a reaction. Some patients even react to vitamin D. Um, So uh, there's always a risk of a reaction. In my clinical observation, also working with quite sensitive patients, I would say only about 20% of patients have a negative reaction to elemental diets, uh, some of which is to the whey protein in the uh, semi-elemental formula. Although um, in a lot of cases, it seems that it doesn't matter if it's the whey containing or the whey-free version. Uh, And with that in mind, we're actually trying to design a, a different form of an elemental that's not quite so centered around the same ingredients that have been used historically, but trying to use different, mainly carbohydrate sources. Um, because if you look at whey-free and whey-containing, and I've seen an equal level of reactivity to both, it tells me it's probably not the protein for those people. It might be something with a carbohydrate source. So that's something else that we're working on. But, but to those people, I would say, try it. The fact that it's man-made does not mean that it, it increases the probability of it causing a negative reaction. In fact, these are designed to be fully digested and as hypoallergenic as possible. So I totally appreciate where that's coming from. Um, but you know, if we have the ancestral kind of paleo framework, great, but we don't want to be tied to that completely without exception. And this is one area where I think it's worthwhile considering to make that exception. You mentioned the formula is pre-digested. For somebody that's never heard that term before, what does that mean? Yeah, it just means that the proteins, carbohydrates, and fats are broken down to a greater or lesser extent. Uh, Protein can be broken down into amino acids. Carbohydrates can be, uh, I guess, said really simply, you could have starch as in a potato, or you could have dextrose or maltodextrin, which is more broken down. And Why that's helpful is it essentially reduces the fiber and prebiotic content pretty much down to zero. And I'm sure your audience knows the whole SIBO fermentation story really well. Uh, So these ingredients absorb within the first two to three feet of the small intestine. That starves bacteria. What I think is oftentimes forgotten, unfortunately, is that also starves fungus because if no food is getting through then or past the second or third foot, then you can't feed the fungus. And also remember that the food coming out of the stomach is highly acidic. So that first few feet due to pH is fairly protected from robust overgrowth. It's really the further down the line, the higher the risk of an overgrowth. So if these are being absorbed in the first or or, the second or third foot, then it also doesn't stand to reason that this could feed fungus other than some people will develop a little bit of oral thrush, which usually goes away with mitigation of use. It doesn't seem to be indicative of something going on further down the line. And when would you use a full elemental diet in terms of you're not eating anything else versus you're having that in addition to food? Yeah, you know, I I used to think about this much more Uh, I guess, lab centrically where, well, if the person has a really high gas test, then I've got to use. And I've just, I've learned that these things are not that precise. And I I would actually go as far to argue that lab testing has probably done as much harm as it has good 
in in the sense that it thwarts clinicians from actually just looking at the patient, their symptoms, and their response. And instead, they just look at labs, and they're treating the labs, and they're missing all this beautiful data that you get from listening to the patient, seeing patterns, and, and observing trends because they're too busy, you know, uh, meticulously looking at the lab work. Um, so. I used to be much more kind of, you know, the more severe, the longer the, the course. And I mean, certainly if someone has more severe symptoms, we might want to be considering a longer course. But that doesn't mean that if someone has more severe symptoms, they're going to respond better to exclusive liquid nutrition. There are some people for whom just having one small meal in the evening is a game changer. And they say, I was getting kind of hungry. I was getting kind of irritable. I was losing motivation. I had that one small meal. I felt better. I slept well. It, it got me that jonesing for some food. And the next day I felt totally refreshed. And then I got to 6 p.m. That, that following night, I needed my meal. And I fell into a rhythm that was really easy. This is what I think is missing from the elemental equation is, and I, I call this being um, evidence-based and evidence-limited. If it was used for three weeks, then we've got to use it for three weeks. And it kind of misses the fact that there are other studies actually using this in inflammatory bowel disease where they tell children, there's one three-year follow-up study where children got about half their calories in a day from an elemental formula. And they actually had better growth and less disease activity than the children who were eating just whole foods. And it was kind of open-ended, get about half your calories in a day. So when we look at that, I just tell people, well, let's say they're a really severe case and they're very motivated. I'll say, okay, we can, we can aim for two weeks exclusive, but if you're starting to feel your body push back and you're craving food, don't think that having a small meal or even a normal meal here and there is going to throw off the results. Listen to your body, find that middle ground. And that's oftentimes the difference between, oh, I did two weeks and it was daunting and it was terrible compared to, yeah, I did two weeks and I had some food along the way and it actually wasn't too bad and I feel a lot better. So, yeah. We're here with Dr. Michael Ruscio talking about his elemental heal formula and the elemental diet. And it's a really great point that you raised there, Michael, around look at the person, not the lab results, and look at how you're feeling as the individual. And I'm just so happy you've raised that, that <laughs> we have permission to do how we need to do for our own unique body. And I think so many in our SIBO and gut health community uh, have read, you know, various articles or studies or blogs or articles that say it's a 14 to 21 day liquid only diet and, that, and they feel that that's the only way they can do it. And if right. they do in, introduce some food, then they feel like perhaps they've failed or it's not going to be as effective. And I have a, a coaching client that I've worked with for a long time now who was one of those highly reactive people, just couldn't eat anything. Her whole system was just in complete overload. And she did a long-term therapeutic use of an elemental formula plus food. And that has really um, allowed her to get some footholds again that she yeah. wasn't able to do. Yeah, I mean, uh, thank you. It, it's, um, you know, it's one of the challenges, I think, when, when we, we look at maybe one expert's opinion or, or the argument from authority rather than the argument from, from science. And I mean, to be fully transparent, there's really the only one SIBO study, but there's a, there's a plethora of these in inflammatory bowel disease, which has a lot of therapeutic overlay to IBS and to SIBO. And in those studies, 
people have done really well with this kind of mix and match. So it's common for there to be somebody with an inflammatory bowel disease and an overgrowth in their small intestine. I definitely see a lot of clients Mm. who present with celiac disease or um, ulcerative colitis or anything like that. Um, What's your approach to, you know, the the SIBO or the IMO as it's now being called and an IBD? Where where do you start first? Yeah, good, good question. It depends a lot on their history. So if someone has, and this is something I see quite often, and it's really unfortunate in my opinion, um, who has, let's say, SIBO and ulcerative colitis, um, and they've not used a probiotic because their practitioners have told them that probiotics are not good for SIBO, even though, you know, as, as I'm, I'm sure you know, there's been one meta-analysis of 18 clinical trials finding that probiotics can decontaminate the small bowel of SIBO and a number of studies finding various degree of therapeutic benefit for inflammatory bowel disease, more so ulcerative colitis actually than Crohn's. Uh, so if someone comes in with that situation, then I'll start them with a the probiotic. Um, but if someone hasn't used an elemental diet, let's say because they were tenuous about 14 to 21 days exclusively, then we may start them off there. And sometimes what I'll do is, and this is what I'm, I'm doing a lot more now, is advise someone on aiming for a two to four day exclusive, I call it a reset, and then go to the hybrid approach from there. And that seems to be enough to kind of give a person a period devoid of any whole foodstuffs, but not so long where it gets really challenging from a compliance perspective. So this two to four day reset you're aiming for, it's a loose mandate. And then from there you go to kind of the mix and match. It might be one meal, it might be two meals, and then the rest replaced with elementals. And then they stay on that through our follow-up, which is usually maybe two or three weeks later. I tell you what, it would have, uh, I'm thinking back to my own experience and it was just pure grit and determination that got me to 14 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, days three to probably six thereabouts were pretty easy. I was actually in the swing of things, but the second week was hell on earth. And it was actually, it got to the point where my body, I felt started really rejecting the formula and I went into a full water fast for about 50 hours because I felt better just doing nothing, having nothing other than water than having the formula. And I think back to, well, if I'd maybe had some plain cooked chicken, um, some steamed zucchini or something like that for a meal, could I have actually had a better outcome? And interestingly, and I wanted to talk to you about what you see, uh, when I got my breath test results back, And admittedly, I didn't test straight away. I decided I wanted to allow my gut to get into what I would feel like more of a regular state. Um, I had, I still had numbers present, but Mm -hmm. I had methane present, which I'd never had in any previous tests. So I was like, whoa, I've ended up with not only higher numbers than ever before, but a gas that I've never had before. Mm. (laughs) Um, Yet, like you said, like you talked about, If we only went on my test results, you would say, wow, Rebecca's worsened. She's in a terrible state. Yet I felt so much better. There you go. So I looked at the test results, went, hmm, interesting. Methane. Oh, interesting. Uh, Put it to one side and kept living my life. Good. Thank God. Um, But what do you see in terms of if you do do a a breath test afterwards, um, you know, how often are you seeing the numbers reduce or even doing what happened to me?
That's a good question, hey? I've got loads more just like this coming up after this break. We'll be back in a moment. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. see in terms of if you do do a, a, a breath test afterwards um you know how often are you seeing the numbers reduce or even doing what happened to me yeah great great question it's your exact story uh, or stories like that which is why now i really make retesting optional um, and we can theorize all day in terms of why perhaps the methane was elevated and I'll throw out one theory, but theories are really kind of a dime a dozen until we've, you know, really proven them out. Um, but one theory could be with that lack of exposure to foodstuffs to your GI tract, your motility could have slowed. Because, uh, you know, while fasting is a stimulation exercise for motility, there may be this threshold at which if you're you know, long-term fasting, everything kind of shuts down because there's nothing needed to be uh, vectored through. That's just a theory. Um, but certainly that could have been what happened because we know motility can also skew a SIBO breath test to cause a high methane. And it's kind of this chicken or the egg debate. Is it slow methane that, I'm sorry, is it slow transit that causes methane SIBO? Or is it methane SIBO that causes slow transit? It's probably both, but in, in some individuals it's one and in others it's the other. Um, so for, for that reason, uh, I don't get too wrapped up into the details of retesting, but rather what I do is personalize the therapies that we know help with SIBO, help with motility, help with leaky gut, to the individual until we get them to a point where they have no symptoms. Because it turns out at the end of the day, people care about having no symptoms, not about having a clear SIBO breath test. That is so true. You're never saying, oh gosh, I can't wait till I get those zeros on my SIBO breath test. No, you're saying, I can't wait till I stop bloating or I stop having those cramps or I can't wait till the day I can go out to a restaurant and eat anything off the menu rather than being that person that's, excuse me, can you tell me what's in this dish? They're the things you don't want to be doing anymore. Not that you got your C, but your parts per million down to a right. clear level. <laughs> and, and that's one of the challenges with, um, with progressive realms of medicine and healthcare, where if we're too progressive, we actually are using tests that even the researchers haven't quite mapped out how to use. And there's a, real, there's a real drawback to that, which means that the clinician is using a test that we're not really sure the meaning, and then patients are kind of imparting that potentially incorrect interpretation into their own psyche. And this happens all the time with SIBO breath testing, where someone will, you know, someone who was in your exact situation who didn't have the right consulting may be incredibly despondent after seeing that result, thinking like they failed, or maybe if I, if I just pushed hard enough and I didn't do that you know, water fast for a few days, or I went a few days longer, even though your symptoms were improved. And that's it's really important. So the, the way to use a SIBO breath test 
in, in terms of serial retesting hasn't been fully mapped out yet. So we should just be a little bit cautious and circumspect with how much we derive from a retest results. A question I know my listeners are thinking right now, Dr. Michael Ruscio, is, well, if I'm not testing, how do I know what kind of SIBO I have, which isn't that how it dictates the treatment therapies that I take? Yeah, that's that's also a a good question and a fair question. With herbals, um, there's only one, you know, speculative speculative kind of in-office observation that supports one type of herbals is better than the other. So we should be uh, careful to kind of acknowledge that. With probiotics, there doesn't seem to be any correlation. And that's, again, such an effective therapy. And I, I see that so often in my practice. And also, it's been clearly demonstrated in the published literature. With antibiotics, yes, there is a skewing. Um, but I don't know that the difference between success and failure would be selecting the right antibiotic for an individual. I think that's, I think that's another misnomer where, where sure there was better effect on the breath test demonstrated, but we have to zoom way out and, and acknowledge the fact that antibiotic monotherapy, at least from what I've been able to tell, doesn't seem to be the best method of treatment, but rather if we're looking at lifestyle, personalizing the diet, using other adjunctive supports like probiotics, potentially enzymes if someone needs them, uh, maybe on and off hybrid elemental dieting. This is what seems to be the difference between success and failure. And in fact, when Allison Seebeck and I recently had a conversation about some uh, updates in SIBO, one of the uh, DDW conference findings was that after post-infectious SIBO, some of those organisms can remain in low levels in the long term, and that may be what fuels the inflammation that causes the autoimmunity that thwarts motility, which kind of reinforces the approach I've been championing for a number of years, which is we want to use all the supports we can to kind of get the ecosystem in balance and hold it there for as long as we can, and then after that, we can use to withdraw the therapy. So if we can get someone into this eubiosis, and hold them there, what I think is happening is those critters get pushed out, the inflammation attenuates, and then we can withdraw the therapies. So to the question of, well, I need the right antibiotic, that's like one, maybe fourth or fifth of all the things that have to be done in in concert to really lead to a a favorable long-term outcome. And it really speaks to something that I see regularly with uh, my coaching clients in that quite often people come to me, they might be working with a practitioner that has learned a little bit about uh, SIBO and um, intestinal overgrowth, but perhaps hasn't done a lot with it. And so they've both had an approach of, okay, we'll just do a round or two of treatment and then all will be good. And when I start helping them to dive into the, you know, how long have you been feeling unwell? What are the things that have contributed to it? We start peeling back that layer of the onion. Then they're like, oh yeah, well, you know, I've had all this massive surgery and I never, you know, I've, I've never fully recovered from it. Or, um, you know, there was this huge food poisoning episode that everything went wrong after that. So, okay, well, what, happened in that let's look into that some more it's not just your small intestine let's think about your whole body and another key area and i don't know if you see this uh but is stress 
and chronic, extreme, long-term stress with significant life events, um, traumatic relationships, traumatic workforces. And these people are just in a terrible state, but because it's been their normal for so long, they don't recognize it. And as simple as working on their stress response or their ability to find ways to start to relax the body, there's no medicine for that. Uh, you know, it's often a lot of mindset work, but there, you know, something like that, I see profound change in a person's response to how they're feeling. Now, their breath test might not have changed dramatically, but how they feel can change remarkably because they're yeah. not stress, 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 yeah. it's, it's 24-7. It's a phenomenal point. And, and, uh, and I just want to second that, that, um, as we've been doing or recommending limbic retraining therapy in the clinic now for maybe a little over a year, um, you know, there, there's a handful of therapies that patients say, I feel a lot better. And that's one of them. Now it's for the right person, right? You have to be able to pick out the constitutional type or the history, what, what have you to, to um, you know, indicate that would be the best recommendation for that person, but definitely. And then along with that, kind of tying that back into the, the SIBO breath test piece, you know, there is some evidence showing that it, it may not always be the gas levels that leads to the pain and, and other reactions. It might be hypersensitivity to even normal gas pressure. So the, the gas, um, the amount of gas and maybe the amount of overgrowth that precedes the gas may not be the only factor in the symptoms. And this is one thing, you know, it's unfortunate when we get this kind of SIBO-centric way we look at things because it is definitely something to consider but there may be varying levels of overgrowth and therefore gas. And some people due to inflammation and how revved up they are potentially autonomically may be more or less sensitive to that. So again, to your point, it's not all about the SIBO breath test results. It isn't. Let's talk about um, preparing for doing an elemental diet if someone was wanting to do your formula. And we'll talk about how they could uh, get their hands on your formula as well in just a moment. Um, preparing for it, doing it, and then and post-treatment, uh, um, what, yeah. what are the steps you take people through to ensure that it, they do have a good outcome with it? Yeah, great question. And you know, the, the fact that we are giving people much looser recommendations makes it far easier to kind of prepare because now you're not preparing for this arduous 14 to 21 days exclusive, but rather, okay, uh, let's say you're going to do the two to four day reset as best you can, knowing that at some point your body pushes back, then you have that out for some food. Um, that makes the mental preparation much easier because now it's more so, okay, I'm just going to make some subtle changes. And if I'm feeling good, I'm going to roll with it. So there's no real need to prepare for feeling better. And then if I'm not feeling good, I'm going to pull back a little bit. And that usually helps a person feel better. Um, now on the back end, typically what I advise people on is the longer you've done exclusive nutrition, the more gradual you should be with your reintroduction of food. So instead of going from exclusive, let's say you did 14 days exclusive, then you go right into all foods. That doesn't seem to go well for many people, but rather what I'd advise is spend a couple days having just one or two small meals and kind of feel that out and the rest you'd supplement with an elemental. And then if that's going okay, then make it kind of half and half for a few days and then make it just one elemental meal. And then you may wanna go on maybe breakfast sipping on elemental 
for weeks afterward, which to be honest, a lot of people in America or all over the world will have a morning shake on their way out the door anyway. So it's not like we're recommending something that's uh, that, that far outside of the norm. Um, so yeah, I mean, those would be a, a couple of things. And also a few obvious things you wouldn't want to make, um, you know, spicy chicken sausage and pizza, your, your cheat meal, keep these things kind of in your safe zone, smaller meals, softer foods, um, no, nothing spicy or raw. Um, and if you follow those, those two dictums, then usually it's a pretty easy transition on the uh, other side. And it's really important to listen to your body. I, when I went through that phase of the food reintroduction, I would literally say to myself, what do I feel like eating today? And there was one day when I was like, broccoli, I really want broccoli. <laughs> so I made some, I had a, I had made a lot of broth and I mashed some cooked broccoli in it. And I was like, oh, broccoli, you're the best <laughs> ever. And there was obviously something my body needed in the broccoli yeah. that day. And then there were other days I was like, I just really feel like some cooked chicken or mm -hmm. I really want some pureed carrots or whatever it was. And I really kind of allowed my body to be the guiding force of what I felt like rather than batch cooking this huge amount right. of food and then forcing myself to eat it. So yeah. it did mean that I had to be more, I guess, available to shop. And I'm very lucky I have an amazing market nearby, a fresh mm. food market nearby that's organic and beautiful produce and you know, walking distance. So that's fantastic for me. Um, but I was able to then just kind of almost like a, a tree in the wind. I was able to go with the flow yeah. with how my body felt. And then when I was ready to introduce some of those more challenging foods, I was like, do I feel like that today? Yeah, I do. Or no, I'm not ready for that. If I felt something right. about it that wasn't quite right, I was like, okay, my body's telling me no. And it was really quite, um, it was really fun to experiment with um, really listening to uh -huh. my body because so often we've stopped listening and we are completely ignoring it. So important. So, so important. Fully agreed. Let's talk about the person who is underweight because we know there are a lot of those people in, in our community. Um, what do you see uh, with people that are desperately trying to gain some weight after losing it with SIBO or other gut issues, um, and but yet they're wanting to do an elemental formula? Sure. Well, what's been published is that semi-elemental formulas may actually be more conducive to weight gain or I shouldn't say gain, because that, that could impute a normal weight person gaining weight, but I should say weight regain in an otherwise lower weight person. Semi-elemental diets have been demonstrated in the published literature to be better for weight regain. Clinically, I can't say that I've seen that, although these observations can elude you unless you've really kind of set up some different experiments in your clinic to be able to pick those out. So just because I haven't seen it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Um, but that's what's been published. Uh, and, and so if someone is underweight, I'll probably recommend they use something like Elemental Heal, the, the traditional that contains the whey protein, which is semi-elemental, um, rather than the whey-free version, which is fully elemental. Unless they know they have a problem with whey. Now you have to also be a little bit careful there because not all whey proteins are lactose free and casein free and devoid of other kind of junk in them, right? And I, I, I've learned this the hard way. I used to use kind of a, you know, um, 
store-bought whey protein and then I would always get bloating. And I realized there was just other excipients or things in there. And when I started using a cleaner whey protein, no more bloating after I'd have my kind of post-workout shake. Um, so you personalize a little bit based upon that. And then the other thing with someone who's underweight is to make sure to encourage them to drink an ample amount because sometimes people don't do the math. And, and I, I don't like giving people highly prescriptive recommendations because I find compliance tanks. Um, but for someone who's underweight, I would say, make sure you're looking on the label and trying to get to at least 2000 calories per day, or maybe a little bit more and drink amply because this will be absorbed easily. It'll give you a chance to get more calories in your system. But if you're having two shakes a day, then you can't expect mathematically to gain weight. And I often say with some of my coaching clients, the ones that are down to some carrots and some chicken and some zucchini, when we work out their macros and their, calor their caloric intake for the day, they're sometimes down under a thousand. And then we, and I say, well, let's look at, this is just pure mathematics. Look at what's coming in. Right. Not much. No right. wonder you've lost 15, 20 kilos or, you know, 45 pounds. You're not eating. And they're like, but, I, but food doesn't work well with me. And I'm like, well, let's look at how we can get some other nutrition into your body that is easy for you to digest so that sure. we can just, you know, fill that gap. If yeah. you're missing a thousand calories, let's, you know, a, an elemental diet um, or formula could be a great way. To supplement the rest. Ab yeah, to supplement the rest. Great yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so you've, you've mentioned there you've got whey free and you've also got a low carb option. Can you just talk through the various uh, formula options you've got and how somebody can get their hands on it? Do they need a prescription for it? Yeah, thankfully you don't need a prescription for any of these formulas. I'm really proud to be able to say that these are the only ones available on the market that don't require a prescription, at least the, the way free and the low carb versions are. Uh, so there's the traditional, which is a mixture of whey protein and maltodextrin and essentially a multivitamin. Um, and that contains about 50 grams of carbs per serving. There's also a whey free version, which is essentially the same thing but with amino acids rather than whey protein, but it still tastes great, um, but it also contains some fat as an MCT oil powder. And then there is the low carb, which has more fat, but even less carbohydrates and also has the, the whey protein and the MCT powder. So, uh, and that has about 20 grams of carbs per day as compared to 50. Um, so it's not necessarily keto, but definitely if someone is really carb sensitive and trying to be lower carb, the low carb option is one for them, or there's the way free or there's the traditional. So there's a few different options they are all available over the counter. And, uh, you know, the, the flavor profile, um, I'm really proud of because especially if you look at the prescription Vivanex, I mean, that is just horrid. Um, and, and unfortunately, if, if I think it was just there wasn't enough of a market and no one was kind of trying to get this all balanced out. And then once, we just started working on these things. It wasn't necessarily in incredibly difficult to make something that was much more palatable. And that was the only option for a long time. And then the integrative therapeutics elemental uh, physicians, elemental diet formula came out, which was like a vast improvement. That's like a tropical kind of vanilla-y flavor. Uh, and now you've got vanilla and chocolate flavors with yours, as I understand. We do. Yep. So as I was saying, I would have just loved to have two flavors to chop and change. <laughs> so I wasn't just getting sick with the one flavor. So Dr. Michael Ruscio, where can people order this if, they're, if they've listened to today's podcast and they're thinking, 
yeah, I'd really love to do a partial. I can see how I'm not eating enough or I'd love to do a full or whatever I'd feel sure. like doing. How do they get their hands on it? Sure. Well, they can go to our website. If they even search just Elemental Heal or my name, uh, Michael Ruscio and Elemental Heal, it should come up. But our website is drruscio.com, which is D-R-R-U-S-C-I-O.com. And if you scroll down a little bit, you'll see a PDF guide. We call it our Gut Reset Guide that reiterates a lot of things that we've touched on today with utilization guidelines and dosing guidelines. And from there, they can click right through to the store, look at the different products and uh, try whichever one that they may need on their journey. And I'm just you know, really thankful for the chance to be able to share that, yes, this can be done outside of 14 to 21 days exclusively. And it really opens up a lot of room for people. Yeah, it does. It's very exciting. And for those of you listening in the show notes, I've got a link. So uh, if you can't remember the website name, just head to the show notes and you'll be able to click the link and go straight to the Elemental Heal page and learn more about it. And also, um, if you're interested in downloading that uh, PDF guide, then please do so. Dr. Michael Ruscio, as always, it's been wonderful to have you on the Healthy Gut podcast. Uh, If people are interested in having you consult with them, are you taking patients? I am. There's a little bit of a wait to see me, but I'm, I'm really happy to say we've just brought two new doctors into the office who are exceptionally well-talented and, and we're all using the same model. And actually, one of the things that we're, we're doing, um, I'm really proud to be able to say in this kind of expansion of the clinic, is we're all using the same systems and using peer-reviewed, validated symptom inventories to track our patients over time so that we can now publish what we're doing in peer-reviewed journals and really try to help set a better standard. So um, we're trying to really push the field from a good direction to an even better direction. And if people are in need of help with these new doctors, now we should be able to accommodate uh, people pretty quickly. And you've also got your own podcast and a book. So uh, I'm happy for you to tell people about that because they're also two really great sources of information. Yeah, thank you. So the podcast is just under my name, Dr. Rusha Radio, and the book is Healthy Gut Healthy You, which lays out kind of a roadmap of, you know, start here and we kind of work someone through all the stuff you hear and read about probiotics, enzymes, antimicrobials, elemental diets, prokinetics, fiber, prebiotics, when to use them, what sequence, how to kind of check in on your symptoms midway through to decide on nuanced navigations through kind of the protocol. Um, So yeah, that's also something available if they didn't want to go to a doctor's office and spend the money there uh, for probably the cost of one or two doctor's office visits, you could try to go through the book protocol on your own as as another option. Yeah, and I've also got that linked in the show notes, and it's a great book. I sat down and and uh, read it, and I was, you know, really enjoyed reading through it. I thought that you laid out the information in such a logical, sensible order that it takes you really from start to finish. In in um, it's very easy to to digest. Pardon the pun. So that when you're dealing with brain fog, as so many people are, that you can still, um, you know, start at a chapter and just focus on that information, or or even um, you know, go to a bit that's really resonating with you at that moment in time because your book is laid out in such an easy uh, way to read. So thank you for putting that out there for all of us SIBO yeah, and you. gut health people in the world. <laughs> <laughs> when you. I first started this journey, there was nothing like that out there. So it's so lovely to see that there's just so many more resources for, for all of us. So thank you, Dr. Michael Ruscio. Yeah, well, thank you for the the uh, endorsement. I really appreciate that. And it, it makes all the hard work partially uh, <laughs> worth it.
It does. Well, thank you once again for coming onto the show. And guys, do take check out the show notes. If you would like a full transcription from today's episode, you can get it absolutely for free. All you need to do is become a member of the Healthy Gut Podcast. So head to thehealthygut.com forward slash podcast, sign up, and you'll get access to all of season three uh, transcriptions. So it's a great way to read along, uh, particularly on those days where brain fog is getting the better of you. Um, or if you're wanting to make notes as you hear us talk. Uh, Thanks so much for coming onto the Healthy Gut Podcast. I'm Rebecca Coombs, and I look forward to bringing you our next episode next week. Thanks, everyone. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Dr. Michael Ruscio. It's always wonderful having him on the show with me. And don't forget, you could watch along with the video of this. So head to the Healthy Gut YouTube channel, um, head to my podcast playlist, and you can see this episode as a video rather than just an audio file as well. And I would love it if you could leave a rating and review in the app you use to listen to this podcast. Click a star rating you think this podcast is worth and leave a little description. Um, And it really, really helps other people just like you know that this is the right kind of podcast for them to listen to when it comes to learning more about SIBO. And finally, guys, don't forget, grab the full transcription uh, once you're a member, which you can do for free, of the Healthy Gut podcast. Simply head to thehealthygut.com forward slash podcast. You've been listening to the Healthy Gut Podcast with your host, Rebecca Coombs. To learn more about the Healthy Gut or our podcast, head to thehealthygut.com forward slash podcast. We would like to thank Red Lemon Productions for the production and original music score of this podcast. To find out more about their services, head to redlemonproductions.com. The Healthy Gut Podcast is a production of The Healthy Gut. Thanks for listening.